Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM Channel 141, 96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Insights segment. I'm Harold Fisher. Crime in the DMV continues to rise, and a lot of us are wondering if anything is really being done to get things under control. Police and elected leaders say it's going to take the entire community. Well, at WHUR, we are also concerned we want to look for solutions. And tonight we're launching Take Back Our Community Thursday. Every Thursday on The Daily Drum, we are going to speak with community groups and activists who are the boots on the ground soldiers working to make our neighborhoods better. And joining us tonight are Dale Sutherland, former undercover D.C. narcotics officer, now a pastor. Paula Thompson, executive director of Voices for a Second Chance, her organization provides services to help reduce recidivism in D.C. And Andrea Counts, founder of Fast D.C., that's Fight Against Sex Trafficking D.C. If you have a comment, if you have a question, lines are open. Give us a call at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can X me at hfisherwhur or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Everyone, thank you so much for joining this really important conversation. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Uh, Pastor, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, there we go. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. I want to start uh, with you. Pastor and former D.C. narcotics undercover officer, uh, that doesn't sound like peanut butter and jelly to me. Those sound like two totally different things. How did you move from the streets to the pulpit? Well, it was actually the other way around. I, I was uh, going to Washington Bible College out in Atlanta. I'm one of out there, and uh, I wanted to work in the city, wanted to work with uh, kids in the city, and um, I thought I should get some experience. I was a suburban guy. I thought I should get some experience to see what life's like. So I thought, well, maybe if I join the police department. So I planned to join for just like a year or two, and then I got in there, and I, and I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was useful and worthwhile, and I ended up staying uh, a whole career, 20, 26 years. You were here during the, the bad old days in D.C. Yes. When you look at what's happening now, and maybe our memories are not as good as they used to be, and while the murder rate is not as high as it was during the crack epidemic, it seems that other crimes are, are just as bad, if not worse. What do you believe has happened well, remember, any any murder is one too many. So, I mean, those are real people and real deaths. It doesn't really matter that there was less or more, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, when we were out there. But the, but the truth is, yeah, it's, it's really concerning, obviously. Every victim of crime and every person affected, including, uh, it just sounds like with the law enforcement I'm talking to and community people, it just sounds like a, it's almost like a juvenile um uh, a problem right at the center. Whereas back when I was there, it was a little bit easier to understand. Guys were trying to make money. Uh, it was a it was a money game. It was drugs, selling drugs. It was uh, robbing people. All those things led to all the violence. Now I'm hearing very little of that, and so it's really hard to reason, you know, or, or to to manage that when kids are so young and and they're and they're competing for, I guess, uh, 
you know, all kinds of other social reasons why they're doing this. But uh, it's it's just heartbreaking, to be honest with you, all the way around. Mm. Uh, Andrea, you you were born here. Yes. You remember when. What do you believe is the problem now, as the pastor just suggested, with with young people? Well, first of all, um, when when he was doing his work as an officer during the 80s and 90s, um, and like you said, the drugs had plagued our community. Um, if you look at it, the, these are the moms and the grandmoms now who these kids belong to. So who really raised them? I grew up in that era, very, um, you know, trauma-filled, generational trauma. And so who's raising these kids, right? These kids have no, they're broken in this generational brokenness their parents are broken from all they've been through and then their grandparents are even broken like we're probably i'm i joke my son and i are almost in the same generation i had my son um at 17 years old and so i've raised him i made a lot of mistakes as a teen parent what do you mean by that uh so as a teen parent i was uh very toxic, very angry. I was sexually abused as a little girl. And so that created a silent anger in me that began to spill out all over the place. I was, um, I did a lot of fighting. I even tried selling drugs. Um, I started a girl crew um, where we would rob guys, set them up, take their money. Um, and it had nothing to do with the money because I had a summer job and I worked since I was 14 years 14 years old and so i had two parent home i didn't need the money i needed them to feel um the rejection the pain the embarrassment and the hurt that we felt um as abused young women and so these you know these kids are a lot of who i was mm. you know paula you work to try to give people a, a, a second chance kind of describe to me what your experience is when you encounter people who want to have a second chance and, and I'm sure this is there is no secret sauce no perfect formula that's right um, <clears throat> what we do our services are very individual centered and so we're going to meet the person where they are um, we have so many thousands of people coming home um, from prison, and the thing is that they're coming from across the country, and so their needs are different. A lot of times they may be coming home where they may have family support, and for many others they will not. And so we start at the very basics with really helping them um, set their identity and that comes from getting a birth certificate so they can get identification so then they can move to thinking about getting a job and housing so those are like the first steps and then we get into the case plan what do you want to do what are what are your objectives what are your goals um, but I, I want to mention something I want to you know talk about something that Andrea said and the question now is what's wrong with the kids because there's so much violence and she's absolutely right because we see that we serve their grandparents and their parents and it is intergenerational and that the population was ignored for many years these are these children are the um the they're sort of they're the outcome of the crack epidemic and so 
the crack devastated our communities. People are focusing on fentanyl, but the remnants of the crack epidemic just it disintegrated whole families. And so we're seeing people coming out of prison who did 20, 30, 40 years, and they left whole families here. But those families are not whole when they come home. And so um, we have so many systemic you know, fractures from education to human services, and these kids feel it. And so they are acting and reacting to what was left for them. And so um, that is one of the challenges that we see. And so we're, we work daily to help not only the individual become whole, but also to think about how can they you know, um, resolve some of the damage that they did to their community. And they do want to be a part of that solution. And oftentimes they're not invited into that conversation. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. This is our very first Take Back Our Community Thursday on the Daily Drum. This is our attempt to try to address some of the things in the community, talking to uh, activists and those who are providing services to a community in need. If you have a comment or a question, give us a call at 202, uh, 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. Jonathan, calling from D.C., thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, you doing? My name is Jonathan. Um, I'm an activist as well. I do. A, uh, I have a, a barber shop in the District Heights area, and I do a lot for the community. But one of the things that I'm out here doing is trying to get the politicians and these uh, lower level politicians to start opening back up rec centers, boxing centers, gyms, basketball. When we were coming up back in the '80s, even though we had a drug epidemic and we were out there doing what we did. We still had these avenues to go to. Some of our coaches saved a lot of our lives with boxing and, and, and other things. And these kids don't have nothing to do, man. They're bored. All they do is stay online on the Internet, and the Internet is a devil. It is, it's telling these kids all this stuff. A lot of these children are just following these rappers that's trying out here rapping with this drill music and all this stuff, and they're following behind them. And a lot of these rappers are not even really living that lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? But some of them are. But at the same time, we got to get to these politicians, man, get to our government. We got to start going down there and banging on these doors and tell these people, look, y'all got all these vacant buildings open. Open up some aftercare for these schools. Open up this or center for this. Open up this and that. They want to build houses. We got to build things that Jonathan, thank you so much uh, for your passion. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Pastor, what do you think about what Jonathan was just sharing with us? I, I know you, you don't have all the answers, but I'm sure you have some thoughts about what the possibilities could be. Well, I think he makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, listen, you've got two sides of this thing. I think what we're both... Um, uh, said uh, too, you know, if you think back to the ramifications of what happened in this country between, let's say, even later, like 1988 to 1999, just in the District of Columbia, we had 4,500 murders, murders in the city. And on top of that, you think of all the wheelchairs and all things. And I guess to think that we're going to be able to 
that all that violence is going to happen and not have a ripple effect, uh, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later is probably silly. Uh, and, and I guess it's got to be acknowledged in the conversation. The truth of, of what uh, he was just saying is, is absolutely right. There's, there needs to be a place for the for now. At least we can understand by looking at the past why we're here. But then, secondly, this may get us to some answers. Now, for me, as a pastor, I really believe that Christ can change someone's heart. I've seen it happen time after time. It's, it's certainly uh, true in, in uh, watching guys even coming out of the life, you know, uh, seeing their lives change. I've seen what God can do, and so I, I'm certainly hopeful for that. But we got to get kids off the street and into these other positive places, whether basketball or tournaments or uh, youth stuff, church stuff, but with, with great godly people that are out there caring for them and giving them a different a different route, you know, than the way that they're seeing right now. But a- Andrea, based on what Jonathan was suggesting, are the the centers that are open, the rec centers, are they really being utilized as we would hope that they are? They're not and they're not it's not enough of them for one but the ones that are open are a little bit outdated they're not catering to what the young people are interested in today and um he's right uh social media has also wrecked our world but it's a blessing and a curse and so those are the things they're interested in how about we teach them how to do it um or use it in a way that's more beneficial than just um you know living living in a fictitious world. Um, I totally agree with um, my pastor, by the way, that Christ is who changes our heart. That's who changed my heart. Um, that's what healed me. And I think um, any, you know, programs could be great, but we have to have a heart change um, in order for this problem to stop. I need to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Kim from Maryland, We're going to continue this conversation on this Take Back Our Community Thursday. Uh, The very first Thursday that we are doing this, we're going to be doing this every week as we examine uh, some of the issues in our community and talk to the people who are trying to make our community better and safer. 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. If you're on the phone, that includes Carol just calling in. Stay with us. The Daily Drum will continue on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm. That's on WHUR. This continues on Sirius XM in just a few seconds. Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. This is the launch of Take Back Our Community Thursday. Every Thursday on The Daily Drum, we are going to speak with community groups and activists who are the boots on the ground soldiers working to make our neighborhoods better. My guests are Pastor Dale Sutherland, a former undercover D.C. narcotics officer, Paula Thompson, executive director of Voices for a Second Chance, and Andrea Counts, founder of Fast D.C., Lines are open at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. Of course, you can X me at hfisherwhur or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Let's go to Kim calling from Maryland. Kim, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Kim, are you there? 
Kim, give me a call back if you can. Carol, calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling, Carol. What's on your mind? Yes. Hi, Carol. Thank you for taking my call. Sure thing. Well, I'm an educator. I used to be a kindergarten teacher in the D.C., in the Virginia area. Now I'm a trainer. I train and I work with Head Start programs. And I just want to say, you know, that we need to partner with families and support our families. Our children have been home during the pandemic. They've had, you know, hybrid, remote uh, learning, and they really don't have any social skills. They don't they don't understand their emotions, and uh, and we have parents that don't understand what to do. So it's really important that you know, Head Start is a really good model. We look at our children that come into programs, and we look at their ACEs. ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. All of us have been through some really crazy times during the pandemic. We have, we have lost family members or, you know, community members, and um Carol, I think you broke you I think you broke up Carol, but thank you so much for your input. Paula, talk to me about what Carol is suggesting about bringing families into the fold because I was I would imagine with the work that you're doing family support is extremely important but not always there. That's right. Um, you know, a lot of people don't have family support. And we assume that they will, and sometimes they create families. So people build networks um, of individuals who have an interest in their well-being um, and with them being better um, individuals and contributors to the community. And so they will work with them. They'll have folks that mentor them. But family is important. Um, and sometimes we work with people whose families are unhealthy, and we have to acknowledge that. And so w- we try to position um, our our folks who are in need of support to by providing them with either you know mental health support, um, counseling, mentoring, peer um, peer support is extremely important. Um, you know, again, I work with individuals who have been incarcerated, and so their lived experience is critical to to healing. And so, um, what, what do you mean by that? An individual who has been incarcerated for whatever amount of time, they have a different lens than someone who has not. Such and, as, such as, um, for instance, we have people who have, I think, really great ideas when we're talking about a lot of the violence that is going on, and I think it's important to note that less than 2% of the crimes that are committed are by returning citizens. It's just unfortunate that when uh, someone who has um, been incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, and they've committed a crime, it's highlighted more, right? And so it's made to make makes the public believe that everyone who has been incarcerated at some stage in their lives and they they're going to reoffend and in most instances they do not you said they have good ideas like what what have they shared with you it, everything from um policy so for instance when we're talking about um community centers and rec centers that are not open to the gentleman's point 
and to Andrea's point that they're open, but they're not catered to what the needs are of the children. These youth need a lot of um, specialized services and a lot of services that are just simple, like needing someone to talk to who has walked in their shoes, who've lived in that community, who's been incarcerated, who've committed a crime. Um, who's also um, had trauma. And I think that we don't talk enough about the trauma that our community is blanketed with. Um, you know, there's not a lot of focus on the fact that people are hurting, people are broken, people are in pain. And so sometimes the crime is a result of the trauma that someone has experienced mm-hmm. or witnessed. Andrea, when in the work that you're doing to address sex trafficking, who are you talking to? So I'm I'm working right with the women who are um, escaping those situations. Um, and it's sex trafficking and domestic violence. They kind of, you know, they can go hand in hand. But also just trying to make other people um, who are not in our community aware of the sex trafficking that happens in our community because it's, it doesn't look like what you see on television. Um, you have parents who may be selling their children for sex. You have... Um, you know, boyfriends who, you know, record sexual activities with a woman and then, you know, post it on these sexual uh, pornography sites. So it doesn't look the same. Um, There's, you know, you have young girls or young teens who run away and they get sucked up. They think and they run away for a day or two just to get back at their parents. And then they end up in a, a locked in a hotel being pimped out and had no idea that this, this was going to happen. And so that's not really shown on the news. What's shown on the news is the big white box truck snatching a bunch of kids. That's not what happens in our community. Yeah, I, and I was about to say, and... Having spoken to people such as yourself who are working to address sex trafficking in the community, that it's not to say that there aren't occasions when when young girls and sometimes boys mm-hmm. are snatched off the street. Yes, yes, it does happen. Yes, but it's rare. Very. It's very very rare. And thank you for really helping to dispel the myth of some big, bad, white box truck boogeyman. Yes. When the the, the truth of the matter is, is that you have people who are grooming, people that, that these girls think love them. Exactly. Care for them. When the truth of the matter is, there is a, a bigger plan. Yep. Always. And and a lot of times, even with the women themselves with survival sex, because of the poverty level, can't get a job um, and needing to feed their children, need somewhere to stay. um, Those things are very real. And unfortunately, survival sex is seen as an option, as an occupation. Hmm. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Let's talk to Charlene calling from D.C. Charlene, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, yes. Um, can you hear me? Go right ahead. Hi, yes. Thank you. Um, I just have a, a comment about um, what you all were talking about. Um, I'm kind of in agreement with the lady that was just talking. I myself have seven children, five, five of them are boys. By the grace of God and... 
and my business. Um, yeah, turn your radio down for us, please, Charlene, if you can. Yeah, get one of those five boys to turn down the radio. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. Go right ahead. Um, so I was just saying that none of them have seen the inside of a police car, the jail cell, and the handcuffs, none of that. Me, myself, personally, I believe as a black people, our downfall is communication and just the resources information and sharing it. I'm 43. I grew up in the, in the Leechoy Park area. And like I said, yes, I have seven children. None of them have been locked up. The same things that, I, that were out there when I grew up are out here now. I believe it's the people, the community. When we grew up, you had people that actually cared about the youth that came in, into the rap. Now the wrecks are just being used as somewhere as a chill spot, somewhere to hang out, in and out. Nobody says anything, nobody cares, nobody shows interest. So let me, Charlene, let me yeah. ask let me ask you this. How old what is the age range of your of your boys? How old is the oldest? How old is the youngest? My oldest boy is twenty five. And my youngest is thirteen. Okay. He'll be fourteen in November. Okay. So you just said that none of them have seen the inside of a police car. They've not had any interaction with the criminal justice system. We applaud you. So how are you doing that? Again, I know myself, I couldn't do it on my own. I had a family. Mm. And yes, sometimes that support is there for some people. Sometimes it's not. And that's why, again, back then when I grew up, we had the recreation centers, but there were people inside the rec that we knew that cared about us. It was certain things you couldn't, couldn't do. Yes, I'm a believer that it starts at home, but everybody doesn't have that at home. Mm -hmm. sure. once, they, once, I'm sorry, once they step out, even in school, now you don't have a lot of teachers that really care, even with social workers. They want to, a lot of people don't do their jobs. I see. Charlene, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Pastor, I know we're only going to have you for a few more minutes, but I, I want you to share with us specifically what your the work that you're doing right now or the observations that you are making right now that you believe will possibly help turn things around, even in some small way. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, we, we've been trying to work with uh, police community relations, and we have some you know good programs going on southeast and northeast, and and we try our best to try to get the cops to understand the community better than they do. Instead of them just being like an occupying army, they get to actually meet people, get to see them, uh, play with kids. We got kids uh, things. They go out to the parks. They go over you know out of the city, go places, all, all kinds of stuff, and that that's really great, and I think it's helpful. But I think. Uh, if you go back to a lot of what people said, Paula and Andrea and so on, you know, you know, a lot of it, um, what we're doing, we're seeing, we're seeing guys who came home as individuals and, and then seeing their lives change. And what we see is a lot of the guys, they, they can make real impact. However, I would just tell you, all of you should be encouraged because I really see this as God set up like a, like a circle of people that help. Both you running the radio show, 
for Paula, what she's doing, for Andrew, what she's doing, for uh, the other folks on the phone. But also the police, they, they have to be part of it. It's dumb for all of us to kick each other as part of this process. The police are critical in this, too, and they, they need to be ready to enforce and arrest those that need to be arrested. But as I learned in my police career, I could lock people up all day long. I just couldn't change them inside. And so I say that in the past we locked people up, and now I'm focused on setting people free because that's the internal change that I think only God can do. So I, I encourage the city to pray, all these partners, pray and ask God for his mercy on our city. Real quick, um, on the... On the issue of locking people up, anecdotally speaking, over the past handful of years, I have noticed a shift in you know, public, you know, public opinion. We are, you know, we are hearing less about the holistic way of addressing this issues because so many people know someone who has been robbed so many people have been robbed or assaulted or carjacked or any of these kinds of things and and a lot of people are sick and tired of being tired what do you say to those folks pastor that i think i think they're the ones you got to listen to i think the politicians the the ones that are from not living in the city they have all kinds of ideas on how things change i, I think it, you need to say to them, they're all right, there are always going to be some people in every society who need to be arrested. That, that's just a fact. There's nothing we can do about that. Let's empower the police, let them do their job well, and let's applaud them when they do. Um, they're at their risk in their lives, dealing with the worst of worst, hopefully. Uh, you know, kind of protecting folks like you say, that you get tired of getting robbed. You can't walk your car. Can't. That's the African-American theory. That's not, it doesn't affect me when the crime goes up, you know, out in Virginia or Maryland or whatever. It really affects folks that are living down there. In these, in these parts of the city that are under so much pressure, you know. So we need to really do everything we can to help them and care for them in the midst of this. Uh, how can people, you know, connect with you and, and help support you in the work that you're doing, Pastor? Well, I think you can, you can go to our website. Andrew and I work together a ton. Uh, we're, we're Go to our website. I encourage you to get involved with Andrew's work specifically. I think it's very effective, as well as uh, being in the different place we are in the city every day. We're out in different parts of the city. Uh, doing work with officers and the community at the same time, doing work together. What's the website? It's uh, Code3, Code3.org, C-O-D-E, the number three. Code3.org. Uh, yes. Pastor, thank you so very, very much. I, I appreciate you spending some time with us, Pastor Dale Sutherland, and I'm sure we will be hearing more about you. Thank you so much for your your participation you. in this conversation. Work. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. One of the one of the things, you know, Andrea, when and I was asking this earlier, when you're trying to trying to assist these women uh, as they are trying to escape this issue of sex, you know, trafficking and and domestic violence, how do you get to them? Because I would imagine that you don't always necessarily have a captive audience, particularly when they are coming you know, out of these horrible situations? So there are different ways. Sometimes we, we do a lot of outreach in the community just to say, you know, hey, I'm here if you need me. And you, um, I always get somebody to say, you know, can I call you later? Or, um, you know, do you know if somebody can help with this? But also, um, you know, with the officers, there's a lot of um, um, rescue that we do partnering with them. 
Um, we get calls from uh, social workers, um, from, you know, a lot of agencies who, you know, say, hey, this woman needs your help. And so usually they're at uh, a place of need and they want to, you know, get free and get help. And so that's how we're able to really connect with them at that time. Where do they go when they are trying to escape? I'm not talking about addresses and the like, but mm-hmm. if if they're trying to get away and find a safe haven, where is that safe haven for them? So we have all kind of resources. We connect them to safe houses. Um, we do. Uh, we've provided hotel stays until they can get in a safe house or until they can get somewhere with a family member out of town or something like that. Um, but there are several resources. There are more safe houses in the community that than you probably know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to the phone lines. Two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero. Two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero. Eric, calling from D.C. Thanks for calling, Eric. What's on your mind? Um, I have a comment. Uh, sure. From the from the early 80s, growing up in northeast D.C., but seeing some of my friends from southeast D.C., mainly Berry Farms, who got together, decided they didn't want to be out there doing everything that was going on, and they formed a band. That band became very popular. In the area, they even got a record deal. We need more people to mentor them like some of the older people did with them, not just for sports, but entertainment or even how to be managers in the entertainment business. Because more people make money behind the scenes than they do actually out on stage. Do we have mentors who are willing to put that effort into changing the thoughts of the children? Okay. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for your phone call. So, Paula, to Eric's point about mentoring for, for example, you know, returning citizens and what what does that, in from your perspective, what does that look like? And, and how do you believe that minds can uh, be changed short of long stays of incarceration? Well, from our perspective, what mentoring looks like is more, um, you know, modeling peer behavior. And what I mean by that is um, someone who has had the exact same experience as far as incarceration and they've come home and they faced the challenges of rebuilding their lives, but they were able to do it um, with various supports Um, whether it was family support or community support or what have you, but people have to be able to see how they can move forward. And peers um, are individuals who are demonstrating how you rebuild your life, how you move forward. There are going to be some challenges. Every day is not going to be easy. Everyone's not going to receive you, um, and people are going to judge you. And so peers kind of walk with you through the process and they you know demonstrate and they model and and they give tools but you're walking with the person and showing them and i think that's why our work is unique and different 
because we are demonstrating what that looks like. And when I say we, I have individuals on my team who have lived experience and they teach me every day because I have a different experience than they do. And I think that piece is important. You can't always have someone mentoring who's never walked in those shoes. But if you have someone who's walked in those shoes, someone it gives someone encouragement that they're not alone and they're not being judged. What do they want when they they come to you after incarceration and they're different? What is it that they want for themselves? What do they tell you? It may sound cliche, but it, they want a second chance. They want an opportunity to live a life based on who they are today and not being judged on what their past. Um, they... They want the opportunity to contribute. Um, they want to advocate for themselves and their families um, that the years that they spent incarcerated was not for naught, but it was to really come back home and be a part of the rebuilding and the healing process. Many of the folks that I work with, they're constantly talking about healing. Like I know that I may have been a part of some of the damage of the community, but I want to be a part of the solution today. Mm -hmm. And so that is what they're looking at. They're not, they don't want to be judged by what their crime was or who they were when they were here on the streets, um, but they want to be judged by who they are because in most instances they have developed into phenomenal men and women who just want the opportunity to rebuild their lives mm -hmm. and give back. Andrew, you were kind of nodding, nodding your head. That's so very true. Um, you know, people are are really defined by their mistakes. And had somebody locked me up at 19 and, and you know, I did 20, 30 years and came home, I'm, I'm nowhere near that person. You know, that's not who I, I was a hurt young woman. I was um, I was angry and broken. And but that's not who I am now. And so I think that second chance is so critical and so crucial to be able um, to get it. And, and that's kind of how, um, you know, how God is. He gives us another chance and another chance and another chance. And you eventually you get it right. And I think um not letting people have that option is just, it just hurts the community and it just hurts us as, you know, as a people. So what was the thing or things that moved you from, you know, being a, a stick-up crew member and all of that to uh, the, the Andrea accounts that we are talking to today? First of all, I was facing jail time. <laughs> Well, then there's that. <laughs> that'll, change. that'll change. I was facing real jail time. But um, somebody, um, like I said, I always worked. And this, this woman knew that I was not living the life um, that I sh that I should have been living. So she invited me. She didn't know I was facing jail time, but she invited me to a church service. And it was at night. And I was like, I, I've been to church. Like, I grew up in church. But I absolutely did not know God. And so um, she invited me. And just to appease her, I went. And um, it was a big church and they had a special guest preacher. Um, and so I went in in the balcony, said all the way in the back so I could slip in, slip out. Didn't want, you know, anybody to see me. I just want to be able to tell her I was there. 
Um, but during that service, this uh, speaker started talking about healing and God loving you. And he knows what you did. and He loves you anyway. Um, and that, you know, you can be forgiven and, and start your life over. And I was just like, wow, that's a different side of God. I didn't know. And um, she did a call to prayer. And I was not about to walk down there. No, not going down there. No, not with those folks. I no, was right. not about to walk down there. But this lady literally, um, she waited me out. And I, you know how you get in church and you're like, oh, my God, this per- this pastor knows my story. Um, I really thought the lady that invited me, I was like, she told all my business. And then it dawned on me. She didn't even know my business. Um, and then, you know, she waited me out and I walked down there and got prayed for. And even though, um, you know, my heart changed immediately, I still had a lot of unraveling to do. But um, I, I realized my purpose, like, right in that moment. You know, the thing that is particularly troubling to me in listening to what both of you all have shared, but particularly what you were talking about, Andrea, because as you probably heard, we we lost a, a teenager today in Brentwood because of a carjacking, a girl. I don't know yet how old or how young she was, but she was a juvenile. And someone that she knew, according to DC police, uh, was also in another carjacked vehicle. Last month, we had a young person killed in a carjacking accident from a vehicle that they were in that was stolen. And as a as a father of a 25-year-old young woman and... I think of, you know, the blessings that I, along with her mother and the entire family, were able to to do to keep her safe and in her right mind most of the time. But, uh, <laughs> but and so when you know, I hear stories like the one today... What do you think about when you hear about, you know, it's like common sense, but there is no common sense. It's like, if you just stayed home, if you, as you said, if you just got got a job and we don't know what kind of trauma, what kind of hurt, if any, there may have been involved in that. But it is very painful to me just hearing stories like this. It's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Um, and I always, you know, just wonder if somebody had reached out to these young women before um, something like this happened. But I'm telling you, pain will push you into some places that um, you would never do if you were healed. If, if you had um, somebody, you know, pouring into your life pain will put you in really I mean it's so hard to explain brokenness is not something it's just you know a cute saying to describe your mental state it's a hard place 
to be in. And you can, I just don't believe young people are out here able to take a life and do these these kind of crimes without being broken young people. Um, and being one of those young people, um, it, it took a few people to pour into my life, but it was always, you know, it was enough to get me to stop doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. It's heartbreaking, though. Paula, I have 30 seconds. I'll let you have the last word, some final thoughts. I, I just absolutely agree with what Andrea said is that, you know, a lot of the crime that's going on with the young people, that they're broken and they're in pain. And and just like with adults, when I see them, people don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to commit a crime. I'm going to take a life. There are circumstances and events that are happening in their life and they feel like they don't have another resort. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end this conversation, but I also believe that the work that you all are doing will help change the world or a small part of it. So I want to thank you for coming in, talking with us. The information about connecting with you and your organizations will be on our website. Also, we're going to compile a database as we continue with this Take Back Our Community Thursday project. So I want to thank uh, both of you, Paula Thompson, Andrea Counts, and we want to thank Pastor Dale Sutherland as well. Thank Thank you you for having us. Yes. That is The Daily Drum for this Thursday, October 26th. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night.